Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smyzer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Welcome to the Paseo Podcast, everyone, and thank you all for downloading this episode. If you're joining us for the first time and like what you hear, keep up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Paseo Podcast. If you really like what you hear, give a good rating and leave a comment on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us on. You don't need to do any of those things, really, but when you do, it really helps grow our Paseo Podcast Familia that much more. So do whatever feels right to you, but if you have some time, you like what you hear, uh, do a few of those things. It really helps. On today's show, we welcome visual artist and children's book author Adrian Roman to the show. We're going to talk about how he discovered his revolutionary roots, his art, and the importance of educating the next generation of Boricuas on the historical figures in Puerto Rican history, plus how his family inspired him to create the children's book series, Caras Lindas. But first, wanted to share a few things with you all. I'm recording this a bit earlier than I normally do, so I don't have much Boricua news to share, but I was reading the Chicago Sun-Times the other day and uh, saw that former guest of the show, Iris Martinez, officially stepped down as Illinois State Senator and was sworn in as the Cook County Clerk of the Circuit Court. This makes her the first Latina Cook County Circuit Court clerk in Illinois history, which also means she is the first Boricua ever to hold that position. It's a pretty big deal, so if you're interested in learning more about Iris and the role of the Cook County Clerk of the Circuit Court, we actually interviewed Iris when she was campaigning for the position this past March in episode 25 of the podcast. We'll make sure to link the Chicago Sun-Times article in the show notes because another notable guest of the podcast was mentioned in that article as being a potential replacement for Iris in the state Senate. Now, I'll let you discover who that is for yourselves, but here's a hint. She was on episode 18 of the Paseo podcast to discuss early childhood education and the Puerto Rican agenda. Looking ahead to this weekend, wanted to put on your radars two events that are happening here in Chicago. The first is an event called WEPA, Mercado del Pueblo. It's taking place every weekend from 10.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time on Paseo Boricua in Humboldt Park. The goal is to provide new sources of unique local products made by local vendors in order to incentivize the economy of the area. We actually had Carlos Bosquez on the show a while ago. He's from the Puerto Rican Cultural Center, works specifically with their business initiative. And in that conversation, he actually talked about this WEPA initiative. And myself and my wife have gone to a number of WEPAs. I was there this past weekend, actually, and I can attest it's well worth your time. I'll make sure to share a pic of this on my social media, but I actually picked up some really dope Puerto Rican art when I was there. So for more details, check out the events page on our Facebook page at Paseo Podcast. It's also on the event page of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center's page here in Chicago. But if you're already following us, uh, we just made sure to include that in our event uh, events tab on, on Facebook. So definitely give that a look. 
The next event is the monthly Puerto Rican agenda meeting. I shared information on this before on the show. We've talked about what the agenda is. I've live tweeted meetings in the past. So if you're unfamiliar with the Puerto Rican agenda, just a quick rundown for you. The Puerto Rican agenda of Chicago is a nonprofit organization comprised of local Puerto Rican leaders that work to ensure the self-determination of Puerto Ricans in Chicago, throughout the diaspora, and in Puerto Rico through policy and advocacy. All are welcome to join, but I'll be doing a little bit of live tweeting during the meeting in case you can't make it. But to learn more, visit PuertoRicanChicago.org. Again, if you're interested, go to PuertoRicanChicago.org. On the music front, I talked about Bad Bunny's new album, El Ultimo Tour del Mundo, last week and found out the big news yesterday that it actually debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, making it Billboard's first all-Spanish number one album ever. I tell you, Boricuas are doing some big things, people, so shout out to Bad Bunny for all his success. Now, going back to last week, when I discussed the collapse of the radio telescope at the Arecibo Observatory and the closing of the observatory itself, I did not have the numbers at the time of how it would impact the area economically until I read a CNN article on just that. Listen to some of these numbers. The Arecibo Observatory attracted roughly 50,000 students and 50,000 other visitors on average each year before Hurricane Maria. Now imagine the loss, not only of an educational space for students, but of the tourist revenue. That's 100,000 plus people that are no longer coming there on an annual basis. It also employed roughly 130 people who largely live in and around Arecibo, essentially devastating entire families in the area. The worst part is there's no money to rebuild it. To rebuild this telescope that was famous through La Isla and appeared in movies like GoldenEye and Contact would cost about $400 million to rebuild. Still a devastating story, a heartbreaking story to hear, such an iconic place that is just going to be gone forever. And it reminded me of the ways we keep the memories of such big parts of our island and culture alive today, which is why I'm happy to share today's episode with Adrian. A quick story before we head into the interview. When I was going into the Puerto Rican Cultural Center here in Chicago, I came across this book on one of the shelves called Caras Lindas. And uh, it's all about Puerto Rican historical figures that you can teach your kids about. So it was a really dope read, y'all. And I liked it so much, it made me kind of want to have kids just to buy the book and read it to them. Uh, I did order four as Christmas gifts, though. So I'll live vicariously through the Boricua parents in my life. He has another book in the series that's actually going to talk about Puerto Rican revolutionaries, specifically within the time frame of El Grito de Lares. I think it's available for pre-order now. Um, but really interesting books that kind of continue our history for the next generation that comes after us. So anyway, we'll hear more about Caras Lindas and more in our discussion with Adrian. Let's jump into the interview. I am joined today by Adrian Roman, a multidisciplinary visual artist. The date is October 15th. But as I say at the beginning of every show, that really doesn't matter because it's a podcast. So you're listening to this whenever, wherever you are. We're just happy you're here listening to us. So thank you for downloading this episode. Uh, as I do with all my guests, Adrian, what should our audience know about you? Well, first, I want to thank you. Uh, thank you, Joshua, for inviting me to, uh, to do this podcast. It's great for us Boricuas and Latinos to have our own platforms. Yeah, so um, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. 
I'm a visual artist, a multidisciplinary middle uh, visual artist, not only into sculpting and drawing, and I just kind of try a lot of different uh, different styles, different mediums to uh, get our stories across in the best way I can. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Sunset Park was uh, was home for many years, so I spent a lot of time growing up in Puerto Rico um, and in New York. So having that kind of uh, yeah. that uh, that dual kind of experience. What part of La Isla is your family from? Uh, so my dad's side is from uh, San Sebastián and Lares, and my mom's a lot of history from, there from Ponce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Later in life, I got to understand what that was. As a multidisciplinary visual artist, can you give us a little insight into what your artistic experience has been? What kind of initiated your love for the arts? What made you want to be an artist? What's been your experience in that world, in that space? Uh, and what's that been like with the pandemic? How have you been able to kind of have an artistic outlet? How's your experience been up to this point from when you started in the art world to now? My experiences kind of vary a lot. They go along with what your experiences are in life and what your journey is in life. And I, and I feel like artists, their journey is always filled with obstacles, is always filled with struggle. If you're lucky enough to not have those struggles, bless you. But most, most of us do, especially those Latinos, especially those Puerto Ricans that grow up in, in urban communities. It's not our a popular first choice for us to, to, to want to the direction of art for career i mean growing up as a kid i've always been into drawing i've always been you know loving the arts kind of worked through school i wasn't really a great student in school you always catch me drawing in my textbooks or um you know on desks and and doing you know stuff that i shouldn't be doing um but always wanting to find that creative outlet on on anything that i could so you were one of those students Adrian. <laughs> One of those was, troublemakers. Uh, nah, just kidding. But <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was a, I was quiet though. I, I definitely was one of those students who, uh, who lived in the heart of it, who lived in the, uh, in the heart of the, of the problems, um, and knew all of the troublemakers. But I was the artist, so mm -hmm. everyone kind of like was connected to me differently. Um, I related and I connected to, to everyone differently. So, um, it kind of. It kind of put me in a different place mm -hmm. um, growing up in, in these in the neighborhoods that I grew up in. Hearing your story as a student and like just scribbling and doodling and during class mm -hmm. in school, what are your thoughts on the importance of the arts in schools? I feel like we don't address fully the interests of students. Like we focus on things like science, math, history. You know, those things are all important. But there's 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 certain people whose minds and whose passions. Uh, just really ignite when it comes to playing an instrument, uh, drawing, you name it, like the arts as a whole, even trades, like a lot of that stuff I feel is the first yeah. thing to be eliminated in school budgets. So what was that experience like for you as a student when you're here doodling in class? Like how, how were you able to express yourself creatively within the, the school system? Did you, did you have art classes where you could really hone skills and, and learn different methods? Like what was that like for you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the arts in school for me, um, I mean, I was that kind of student that drew on everything because we, we did have art class, but 
it was never enough. It was never something that was tied into our curriculum that you would find art in science or you would find art in math. Uh, you can have creative ways to teach these different subjects. It was always like art was like the fun subject that wasn't taken seriously. And it's like, you know, that's a hobby. Um, and you can be creative, but, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't something that was respected in the in academia. Yeah, and I mean, in middle school, I won a uh, an art contest that got me to go uh, to Pratt Institute to take uh, classes, drawing classes. So that was a, a huge turning point for me as as how I saw art in my life was being 11 years old or 10 years old or something like that, taking Saturday classes at a at a, one of the most popular art schools in America, you know, at Pratt Institute. So, you know, sitting there with college students and sitting there with uh, with adults that were as old as my parents, I was mixed in with that. And they didn't they didn't treat me as a child. They, they kind of looked at me as an equal in the sense of we were all artists and we were all trying to express ourselves. And, you know, that, that was a different type of experience that that uh, that I had there. You are an artist and you express yourself in a multitude of ways. I mean, I think just following you on Instagram, you can get a really good uh, glimpse into your world. One thing that I found interesting on your account, um, and I actually came across this, it was, it was a children's book. It's called Caras Lindas. Of course, you know this, you, it's your book. I actually was in the Puerto Rican Cultural Center here in Chicago. And in the Cultural Center, there's uh, shelves with all types of Boricua awesomeness, like uh, photos, literature, um, you know, different historical uh, artifacts. Like it's it's a really cool space to be in and walk through. And uh, I had rec I'd been recording in the studio almost every other day. And was one time I walked through, I see this book, Caras Lindas. How did you get into creating children's books? And if you could give us a quick like rundown, what is Caras Lindas? Last year, around, around June, we have in New York, uh, the Puerto Rican Day Parade, National Puerto Rican Day Parade. I work a lot in the parades. I do a lot of stuff here um, in New York around Puerto Rican culture. I was looking to educate my daughter. She's eight. At the time, she was seven. I was trying to kind of highlight certain figures and certain people that were influential in our culture online looking for books and just looking for things and I couldn't find anything that was specific to her age group that was visually enticing that she would want to to have it or she would actually sit long enough for me to show her right um without it feeling like a lecture right so it was it was something that um I did on my own. I, I printed out some bullet point facts of certain folks. And of course I started with uh, Pedro, Pedro Alviso Campos and wanted her to, to know who he was and then which led to Mariana Brasetti and a bunch of other folks. I, I took some photos from, from online and kind of made our own book, uh, a small version of the book, which then turned into me illustrating the book a little bit. I'm not a great children's book illustrator Mm -hmm. But it took me a really long time to like figure this out. Um, to, so to you drew, so you drew all the illustrations. So you illustrated it. Did you write it as well? I got, I got some help with the illustrations, um, yeah. and um, I wrote most of the facts myself. I get it translated by a bunch of different folks. You know, help me out, and 
so it's a it's a community thing that everyone kind of chips in and and helps out the book kind of was just built on me wanting to do it for my daughter and um i felt like if other folks felt like i did and felt that that lack of representation that lack of you should be able to just google this and find at least one option and i couldn't find one option i didn't see this as an opportunity to monetize on things. I, I saw this as a, as a, as a deficit in our culture and in, in our community that needed to be filled. You know, there's a, a lot of work to it. You know, I, I didn't think it was going to be just be something I create once and, and then that's it. You know, mm-hmm. it's something that's going to have to continue and hopefully it continues with my daughter and, and, and so on. Then this is Caras Lindas is only the first book in a series, right? I saw on your website, you're looking at yeah. putting out a second book. If I'm remembering correctly, it was about Lares, right? Yeah. So the, the next books that I'm putting out are going to be uh, uh, in volumes. So there'll be a little collection of revolutionaries. So this mm-hmm. first, first one was of visionaries, which I, I just kind of wanted to have a really good balance and a really good collection of diverse uh, people that are Puerto Rican from the island, from the diaspora, male, female, black, white, uh, revolutionaries, educators, people who fought for, you know, civil rights, people that, that fought, that, that preserved African-American culture, as well as Afro-Latino culture, like Arthur Schomburg. You know, I wanted to make sure that I represented as many facets as I can of who we are as a people and the contributions that we that, that we have as a people on both sides, not only on the island and not only here and, and showing that that we have been around for a long time and we've we've done a lot and um, our children need to know um, these histories and these stories. I had, I had today, funny enough, my brother is uh, an executive for some company and and he's a part of uh, his Latino Hispanic society or something like that in his, in his, in his company. And he calls me and he's like, Hey, can you give me an example of someone, a Latino that, you know, that I can highlight that I can kind of like let everyone know about. And I'm in my head, I'm like, man, this is a perfect opportunity for me to, to school my brother a little bit and hopefully get him to, to, you know, to ride this out with me and get it. Yeah. get a little bit more knowledge on his end as well. And one of the people that I highlighted was uh, Felicitas Mendez. And the reason why I specifically called her out was um, specifically even for him to let him know that this is not just about her being a Puerto Rican woman. This was her being a Puerto Rican, a, a Latina. She was Puerto Rican and Mexican woman. Um, that that her story of fighting for her child to be able to go to a, a white school, to not have to go to segregated schools in California, actually spearheaded. Uh, the desegregation of schools in America. So it started with this Puerto Rican and Mexican woman, her her daughter, Sylvia, that uh, I believe Thurgood Marshall was the lawyer of their case. And he ended up eventually becoming a judge uh, for the civil rights, uh, for the desegregation of, of schools in, in the United States. So like, even knowing that, like, I think it's a, it's a really proud uh, fact that us as Puerto Ricans should know that, um, you know, we do learn a lot about civil rights movement. We do learn a lot about Jim Crow and, and desegregation of schools. And and unfortunately, you know, it's a lot of the a lot of the trauma and the dark side of what was happening in this country um, 
you know, related to uh, African-Americans and, and black people and, and, and brown people going to desegregated, uh, going to segregated schools, mm-hmm. um, but not highlighting stories like Felicitas, you know, not highlighting that the fight that her and her husband went through all the way through the courts to win and for California to be the first state to desegregate schools. I think that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a high for us as a people. I love that you're, you're having these discussions with, with family. I saw on your, on your Instagram account, just speaking of family that you, you talked a little bit about your ancestry, your connection to Puerto Rican freedom fighters. And I was just hoping you could maybe give us a little bit more insight. How are you rooted in Puerto Rican freedom fighters? What is that connection? Yeah, absolutely. It took me a long time to actually be really connected to and or consciously connected to my Puerto Ricanness, I would say, mm-hmm. right? My Puerto Rican history and culture and and um, knowing how much of my identity is that. Um, it took me into my mid twenties for me to, to, to kind of hit a moment where, um, it was a a revelation for me, um, starting with my grandfather. My grandfather was a huge inspiration to me, um, as an artist, um, as just a, a person who, um, just, how would he like evoked like pure Puerto Rican, uh, love for his island and nature uh, he loved to paint so like you know he would get coconuts and he would dry coconuts and he would paint the landscapes of Evunque on the coconut or on the dried palm leaves and you know seeing how he kind of worked culture and worked with anything he had to make uh, something beautiful that represented him and who where he was from um, was very important. And, and I didn't see that until, until later, I, you know, growing up in New York, you see the different representations of being Puerto Rican different. And, um, you know, mine were the Puerto Rican day parade, right. Flags everywhere, you know, just certain levels are are different. Right. So, um, he, um, he told me when one trip I was going to Puerto Rico, um, shortly before he passed away, um, he told me, when you go uh, to Puerto Rico, go to Lares and go to Revolutionary Plaza. And there's some monuments and some statues there and stuff. Go take some pictures of them. I just want you to go and take some pictures. I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'm like 22 years old. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, you know, my grandfather is just sending me on missions to bring him back. Uh, he, he lived in New York with us at the time. Um, he just wanted some memories of, of home. So I did that. I went to Puerto Rico and I uh, went to the plaza and uh, I saw the statue of uh, the bust of Betances and the, the white kind of uh, pillar type monument um, that was kind of in this concrete circular shape with a tree. Took a picture, you know, 22, didn't look at the plaque. I was just like, whatever, man, I'm doing this for my grandfather. And uh, I go back home and I bring in the pictures. And he, uh, he points out the plaque and he says, that's your family. That, that name there is your family. And again, I'm only 22 years old. So I'm like, oh, cool, right? Like not really getting it, not connecting it to a historical time in Puerto Rico that, that was so important. 
um, I kind of just took it for what I was looking at, a photo of a plaque on a, on a monument. It wasn't until he passed away, after he passed away, that I, I started to, to dig in the things that he left behind and start to question a lot of things about uh, our identity, my identity, where my art was at the time, what I wanted my voice to be in my art. Um, and he was a huge influence and part of that. I spoke to his sister um, later, years later, and I, and I asked her, I said, you know, Willow told me that, uh, you know, Venancio Roman is our, was his great uncle or something like that. You know, my family after Egrito, there wasn't a lot of uh, political people that, that follow that same movement after Egrito. Um, a lot of my family at that point stopped kind of uh, being revolutionaries and, and speaking out and, and kind of fighting. That fight kind of ended for, for my family at that point. I noticed that you like to collab a lot with a lot of other Puerto Rican artists. I think a great example is El Maestro Dal that uh, uh, is very much inspired by Pedro Bizu Campos. Uh, that's who, who's one of the figures highlighted in the first uh, book in the Caras Linda series. Can you tell us more about where that, where that spirit comes from? Talk a little bit about that collaborative process. Yeah, I, I think what drives me to collaborate with um, with other Puerto Rican artists is uh, is knowing that I don't know everything, right? I, I could um, try to to do certain things, and and I'm always up to those challenges of trying to get myself to to just try it and see you know how good I am at it. But I think um, we are a, a people of multiple talents. We're people that are, are amazing creatives. So I think it amplifies our, our messages. Collaborating with other artists, um, with other people, doesn't always have to be collaboration with artists. It could be just a collaboration with a community um, that wants to partake in a creative process, um, to be a part of something that could uplift the community, that can uplift each other, one artist to another, knowing that they bring something different to the table. We're going to take a quick pause with the cause, pero no se muevan, because when we come back, we're going to talk about Adrian's collaborative work with other artists, how his work has been affected by the pandemic, and the artists that have inspired him and that he enjoys today, and much more. Stay with us. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, 
please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. I didn't want to forget this. Um, I wanted to highlight this for folks um, we're being, that we're talking about artists. I collaborated um, with about 40 artists, uh, Puerto Rican artists, to create this um, coloring book called Coloriar por Puerto Rico. Mm. Um, it's uh, to support comedores, sociales, and PR. Um, they're an amazing organization in Puerto Rico, uh, feeding the people in Puerto Rico that are you know, having tough times during uh, the pandemic, post Maria, through economic crisis, they're, they're just there for our people and they're doing great work. So um, I, mm. I collaborated with these artists to create this coloring book. All the funds go to them. Yeah, where can people find that? I was selling them and they were sold out, but uh, Comedores Sociales uh, PR, um, I believe on their Instagram, uh, they're taking orders through their Instagram and through their website. So right you can on. contact them directly um, and get it from them. So support if you can an amazing organization look them up you're really speaking to the importance that you see in representation not only in literature but in film tv shows uh toys dolls like this is this is across the board we need more representation we need more puerto rican representation latinx representation across the board i'm super excited to see the next book in the series of Caras Lindas, El Grito de Lares. I mean, that's going to be oh, really man. good. Like yeah. I said, like I told my wife, like, look, now we got to have kids. Now we have to have kids just to buy <laughs> these it, books right? and read it to them. You know, I, I've been craving this stuff. Um, but I think the beautiful thing about Caras Lindas too, if I could just yeah. shine a little praise on you here um, for this project is that it's not only good for young people, it's also great for people in my age group. I think it's good for people in all age groups, especially people that might have come to the United States from La Ilan may not have heard the names of people like uh, your Lolita Lebrons, your Dr. Pedro Ibizu Campos, your mm -hmm. Segundo Ruiz Belvises of the world. Uh, like I said, when I saw in the Puerto Rican Cultural Center, I had to put things on pause, read through that. As you're working on these projects, um, how has the pandemic affected your ability to, um, one, produce these books uh, and also the creative process of actually putting the books together? Have you felt like you've had more time? Has demand gone up? Has it been hard to supply uh, and get these books created and shipped out? Like, what, what, what have you been experiencing since we've uh, entered into this global pandemic with your work? It starts for me, if I can go back a little bit before um, the pandemic, it started um, post Maria. Um, I, I was very active in trying to do whatever I can to, uh, to do work in Puerto Rico. Um, you, I use my platform, I use my network, you know, anything that I could do, anyone that I can call, I, I kind of, squeezed every minute and, uh, and energy out of myself to, uh, to do that. Um, I, I, I actually, I lost my job because of the, I was traveling to Puerto Rico twice a month for over a year, back and forth, um, for a week at a time. So I was only in, in New York, maybe two weeks every month. Um, 
the things that just like many people that lived it, that were there, that their experiences, they, there was a lot of trauma. A lot of, of the people who went to Puerto Rico to, uh, to bring aid and to, and to support one another, like myself, um, experienced a lot of trauma. I, I believe I had some PTSD of just the things that I've, I saw and, and, and I experienced um, with people there, which then turned into me not being, not having a creative process uh, for a year there. And then for a year after, because I was dealing with how to express myself now creatively after experiencing so much in Puerto Rico. Um, we're saying now it's, that's 2018. Now, 2019 is I'm starting to try to figure that out, um, created some work and then the pandemic hit, you know, I have an art studio, but I work pretty large. I work kind of, uh, on the fly. So I'm, I'm grabbing materials and trying to build things and whatnot. I haven't, I haven't been able to work in my studio much. Um, the type of work that I do, I can't really do at home. My daughter is, is uh, remote learning. So I'm, I'm working from home got remote learning a uh, child and uh the art is is kind of secondary right now Caras Lindas has has also kind of fallen in that in that part of not being able to really focus on doing the next thing um until recently I think it, it you know it's taken a, myself I'm sure like a lot of people a lot of time to kind of figure out how long is this going to last you know do I settle in into this and try to figure that out in this, or do I wait, you know, to see if this is going to blow over and I, you know, continue on somewhere somewhere else. I haven't uh, encountered any production issues or anything like that. Um, you know, you did ask me a really important question before about um, artists today, um, or just artists who are my favorites, and I, I just want to touch on them really quickly. Um, start a couple and a couple from history. I would say, you know, Francisco Oyed obviously is a, is a big one. Um, he's in the Caraslinda's book. Um, uh, Rafael Tufino was a huge inspiration to me um, because he was, he was called the people's painter. Um, growing up, I, I, you know, I was always wanting to, I guess, get the approval and get, you know, of my people, um, even through my, my art. So I, I, I honor, I honor him in that, in that light. But then there's folks like my brother, uh, Miguel Luciano, who's an amazing contemporary artist. I got really funny stories with, with he and I, but how we met and things, but I'll save that for another uh, episode. For round two, um, yeah, for sure. Round two, uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna throw out some names that are amazing for folks who hear Please. this, to research these research these folks. Pepon, Osorio, um, and now, you know, the, 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 the younger generations that are out now like the alexis diaz the carlo ibarra in puerto rico the don rimex street artist amazing um um man there's there's so many of us that are out there right now that are doing beautiful work hmm. um whether they're shedding light on port on on puerto rican identity and culture or they're just an amazing puerto rican talent you know, and they're representing us as a people just by being an amazing talent. Like not, not every talent, you know, has to yell out that I'm Puerto Rican and show Puerto Rican culture. And mm. right. Um, I think it's important that they're, they're representing being Puerto Rican by, 
by doing the best and work that they're doing and, and to the point where their acknowledgements is what's going to highlight that this was a Puerto Rican who, uh, who got this, you know, highest level of, of acknowledgement. So props to all those guys and plenty of female artists, Betsy Casañas, there's uh, Sofia Maldonado, there's, there's a lot of, of our powerful queens that are out there doing art as well. So I want to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we highlight our women. Appreciate you giving us that uh, crash course on all the Boricua artists we need to educate <laughs> ourselves on that are out there, that yeah, have man. been out there. Adrian, I want to give you some space to wrap up the show, uh, share with our listeners cool. how can they keep up with you, what uh, social media channels, websites, whatever you got, uh, definitely share that. Um, w- w- how can we keep up with you? Yeah, so my I'm pretty active on Instagram, so I would say my Instagram is Viajero. Um, it's at Viajero, V-I-A-J-E-R-O. Um, my email is viajeroart at gmail. And then through Caras Lindas, if you are interested in, in checking out the book and what are other things that we have coming, it's Caras Lindas Books, at plural, books.com. Um, it's also the Instagram, it's Caras Lindas Books at Instagram, so... All right, cool. Well, Adrian Roman, thank you so much for being on the Paseo podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Adrian Roman for being on the show today. Next week will be our last episode until 2021. And honestly, who our guest will be is a real toss up. We're either going to have Maricel Vera, a local author from right here in the Humble Park neighborhood of Chicago, or Chicago Alderwoman of the 33rd Ward, Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez, on the show. So, uh, you know, keep an eye out on our social media channels for who our next guest will be. We'll keep you guessing, keep you wondering. Either way, we'll see you next week. Have a good one, y'all. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, paseomedia.org, emailing us at paseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at paseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate.